0: And so last week, we talked about how in a season of of anticipation, we're going to read some scripture texts that are about anticipating the coming of the Messiah, and we're going to think about what it was like to anticipate his first coming, and now what it's like to anticipate his second coming. And we're going to read those texts of scripture as we look to meet Jesus in them, and as we think about how we can grow in our own Bible reading that we do as we look for Jesus, So last week we talked about all Bible reading is about meeting Jesus. This is the one great purpose of Bible reading, is to find Him and to see Him and to know Him. And today we're going to see this truth, that one who meets Jesus learns to accept others. So you might remember that Jesus gave His great commandment. He was talking with some of the Pharisees and was tested with a question, which of all the commandments in the Scriptures is the most important And Jesus said to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then Jesus did something very unusual. He took another verse from a completely different book of the Bible that most people didn't hold up next to the first verse and say, these two go together. And Jesus took this other verse and he held it up next to that one verse and maybe for the first time in history. And he said the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Then he took this other verse from Leviticus and he said, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And in doing that, Jesus changed the way we read the Bible forever. Jesus, by doing that, said, maybe you have thought the way to love God was to hold it up to these other verses, like wipe out the Philistines, or the way to love God is to get all the sacrifices just right. And Jesus says the way to love God, according to the Bible, is to hold this verse up next to love God. And that's loved your neighbor as yourself. And so Jesus taught this in many ways. He said that we should do to others as we would have them do to us. He taught us to be merciful and to be peacemakers. And in so many ways, Jesus showed us, taught us, left us examples, and did miracles and signs to help us get the idea that when we meet him in the scripture, we become more open towards other people. Not more closed and not more hard, Uh, We don't become more jaded about everyone else, we become more open towards others. And we allow God to be the one who judges what is right and what is wrong, so we free ourselves of that burden and we're approachable. So today we're going to see the way that this happens when Paul was writing to Rome, to the Christians there, in Romans chapter 15, and he is working off of this truth that he's met in Jesus. Uh, It's just two chapters before this If you want to go do your own Bible digging later, you can read in Romans chapter 13. When Paul's summing up this great letter, because there was a problem in Rome, the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians were having trouble accepting each other. And he wrote to them in chapter 13 that there's one debt that should always remain open, and that's the debt to love each other. Uh, And that all the laws that there are are summed up in this one law to love your neighbor as yourself. So he, he's quoting Jesus. He's got Jesus channeled here. He's brought those teachings about loving God by loving people online, and he's holding them together, and this is the way Paul is reading the Bible is through that lens. And, and two chapters later, uh, in the same document, as he's writing to the same people that are having trouble accepting each other, uh, he wrote these words that we're about to read this morning. And those of you who are my favorites will remember that this is the second time this year I've preached from Romans chapter 15. Uh, so I know that you have kept that little nugget in your heart all year and you've just been waiting for me to pull it out and warm it up again. Uh, and the, if, then for those of you who didn't forget that, because we're accepting of you, we won't tell Santa to put coal in your stocking. You're going to still get something good anyways. Okay. Uh, but this was all the way back in February of this year. When I preached from Romans 15, we were talking about how God has hope and joy that he's going to overflow through us to people in the town around us and the community this year. And we preached from Romans 15, verses 7 to 13. Now, the difference between how I preached it in February and how I'm preaching it today is this. Today, I've added three extra verses to the reading. So I'm just going to preach from it again, but a little longer. Is that okay with you? That was a joke. We're going to still get done on time. Okay. You guys need to have joy. It's Christmas season. It's the month of December. You can laugh a little bit, right? I'm not going to preach that long. Amen. Okay, so here we go. A quick, a really quick uh, recap and a tour again through what Paul's doing in Romans 15. He says everything that was written in the past. Okay, so all of the Bible, Genesis through Malachi, and maybe he's familiar with the things being written down about Jesus, but he's particularly thinking about what we call the Old Testament everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide we might have hope Paul's outlining two great things that happen for you when you're doing Bible reading you're doing 5 one with your kids at home and you read a story about David and Goliath or you read a story about the guy on his donkey and the donkey talks to him and you will find yourself having endurance and encouragement because these are people that trusted God against great odds and God was faithful to them and he answered them and he will be there for us too and so you find yourself lifted up and encouraged by reading everything that was written in the past and then we find in verse 5 that this is why God purposed scripture for us God himself is an encourager And he wants you to not lose courage, but to have it and to find it. And so he's purposefully put these scriptures together because this is his gift for you. This is a, a gift for all seasons of the year. And isn't it great to receive it at this time of the year? What a great gift. Encouragement from God. So God who gives endurance and encouragement. May he give you the same attitude of mind towards each other that Jesus Christ had this this little phrase the same attitude of mind that christ jesus had sounds a lot like what paul wrote to the philippians when he said over and over and over that we're to have the mindset of christ we talked about that all summer in july and in august about the mind of christ and here paul's writing the same thing to the romans so let let me tie together what we've said so far this morning reading the bible is about meeting jesus Meeting Jesus according to Jesus himself and loving God is about learning to love others and accept others. And Paul right here is telling you, God gave you the Bible so that you could be encouraged because God is an encourager. And when God encourages you through the Bible, what he's doing in your mind is forming your mind to be like Jesus Christ. So you might not have the advantage of meeting Jesus like handshake to handshake the way that Peter, James, and John did. Like in history, you didn't get to sit down and ask Jesus all your questions at a a dinner table like the 12 apostles did. But when you're reading the Bible and becoming encouraged by it, God is actually giving you the mind of Jesus so you're meeting him as your mind is being formed and shaped in some spiritual way, a mysterious way, something that is beyond just science and explanation, God is actually allowing you to meet Jesus because your mind is becoming like the mind of Jesus when you read the words of Scripture that are all about Jesus. And what will happen when you have the mind of Jesus through reading the Bible is in verse 6 and 7. Now with one mind and one voice, you can glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and accept one another. And you can accept one another then just as Christ accepted you. And that's a great point in the text to stop and to ask, how did Jesus accept you? Apparently, reading the Bible is going to help you accept each other the way Jesus accepted you. How did he accept you? What was it like when Jesus said to you, Josh Bundy, I accept you? And isn't it funny that in our culture of church today, American church culture, we have a lot of talk about how we need to accept Jesus. And I know what people mean by that. It's a good thing. They mean like believe in him, choose Jesus, accept Jesus. That's a good thing. But most of the time, the scriptures don't talk about us accepting him. They talk about Jesus accepting us. And here's one of those places where it says just as Jesus accepted you, how did he do it? What was it like? Were you really well behaved? Did Jesus come to you and say, man, you are probably the most well-behaved guy in the whole earth, and that's why I'm choosing you? I think we know in our hearts we weren't. Uh, Was it because we were the most talented? When Jesus Christ accepted you, were you the most loving and lovely? Did Jesus save you because you were already lovable or because you were a sinner and sick and needed a doctor? See, when Jesus saved you, it was because you were far from him and hopeless and kind of rotten. And that's how he accepted you, because you were far. So if we learn to read the Bible, become encouraged, have the mind of Jesus, and accept others like Jesus accepted us, it'll mean this. We are going to begin becoming open towards people while they still disagree with us, while they still are not like us, While they still are smelly to us, maybe literally and maybe that's just figuratively, while they make our stomachs churn. And I'm afraid that maybe our world and the Christian world's getting swept right up in it is actually taking the opposite tactic today, where if you read almost any meme on Facebook now, or maybe you don't even use Facebook anymore, I don't know, I don't have Instagram, but I think there's memes on there too, right? or Snapchat or whatever else it is that you have now on Twitter that you see that most of the things people like to say about others cut the legs out from underneath them and really just like stick them right in the kidney and I wonder if maybe we might be one of the last opportunities left in the western world to find that within a group of people there would be this talk about the people most unlike us that was the most accepting and loving and not just, not just in a, tr- uh, like a trite uh, way, not, not just in this shallow way of be tolerant of everyone, but I mean actually deeply, richly open towards people even while they're different than us. But it's not because... We're sitting in judgment over what's right and what's wrong and we're just saying every, everything you think is okay but because Jesus accepted me. And so we look at the people who are socially, and politically, and morally at the opposite end of the spectrum and we say, for Jesus' sake and the love of the Bible, I am open to you. And instead of just talking over you and talking louder, I am going to listen. Listen. I am going to find within the scriptures civility to treat you like a person that Jesus loves so this is what Paul says will happen in Bible study and I think that's hopeful and this is the reason for the season is that in Jesus we find ourselves being refreshed at the end of each year when we start to move from Black Friday into the Christmas season and at some point we actually get called back to the true stories of scripture and what this is all about is that we find refreshed again in our lives, in our Bible reading, in our hearts that Jesus has created a way for us to be open to others when it seems like there is no way. And so Paul uh, will back this up by then showing you how he did his Bible study. Okay, so that's the first part is that Paul's Bible study shows him we should accept others the second part is this Paul defends his Bible study he shows you how he did it so if you're doing 511 this month here is a model for how Bible study can work and this is when Paul takes a couple of different Old, Text- Old Testament scriptures and he holds them next to each other and he says if you kind of look at them this way can't you see the picture of the world that I'm talking about and so he is going to quote from four places in the Old Testament. He says, I tell you that Christ became a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, so that the promises made to the patriarchs, that would be like Abraham, to whom God said to Abraham, through you I'm going to bless all the peoples of the earth, might be confirmed. Uh, and moreover, the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written. So when Paul is going to defend this open, accepting others because of Jesus way of reading the Bible, he says, you remember, God made promises to the patriarchs like Abraham to bless the whole world. And now I'm going to show you how this was all written down in the encouraging scriptures. And um, in these verses, verses 9 through 12, Paul is going to quote from the entire breadth of the Old Testament scriptures. And he does this in a way that makes a lot of sense to Jews of his time. Paul quotes from each part of the Tanakh. And let me explain the word Tanakh. I did this in February, but again, uh, we need to warm this up, right? So T stands for Torah. It's the first five books of the Old Testament. And N is the Hebrew word uh, Nevi'im, which means the prophets. And K is the Hebrew word Ketuvim, which means the other writings. And so the Jews had a way of looking at the Old Testament in these three categories. And when you look at the Bible, you probably see two categories, Old Testament and New Testament. Okay, and that's not the way the Bible describes itself. That's just the way we describe it, and it's fine. That's good. Old Testament, New Testament. You might see the New Testament as being comprised of like three parts. There's the Gospels, and there's the history books, and there's the letters. And then there's kind of like Revelation at the end. But I mean, nobody even reads that, right? So whatever, whatever that is. And then, uh, when they looked at the Old Testament, they saw three parts. They saw the Torah, which was the law or instruction. They saw the, uh, the Nevi'im, which were the prophets. They saw the Ketuvim, which were the writings. And so, Paul, strategically, because he knows he's writing to Jews who are going to have to have this proved to them. You can't just pick one proof text. You've got to show that this is really the story of Scripture, is learning to be like Jesus and accept others. He quotes from uh, from the Torah, Deuteronomy, from the Nevi'im and 2 Samuel, and from the Ketuvim in Psalms and Isaiah. And so he, he quotes from all parts of the Tanakh in order to show the people this isn't just me misreading one verse from God's Word. This is all through the story of God's Word. Uh, Jesus himself will do the same thing. Let me show you how Paul did it, and then I'll show you a way Jesus did it. Okay. So Paul did it like this. He said, as it's written... And then he quotes from one of those places in the Old Testament. uh, I'll praise you among the Gentiles. So see, the Gentiles were to be accepted. And then he says, again, it says. And now he quotes from another Old Testament place. And look, again, it's about the Gentiles. Rejoice, you Gentiles, with his people. And again, in each of those places where it says, as it's written, and again, and again, and again, Isaiah says. These are where Paul is quoting from the Old Testament. And so what he's doing is he's taken a little excerpt from Scripture, and he's holding it up, and he's pasting it on the wall, and then he's holding up another one, he's pasting that next to it, and he's got his third one, and he's got his fourth one, and by the time he's done, he says, look, these are four Scriptures from all across the Bible, and they all talk about how the Gentiles are going to become the people of God. And this was surprising, because if you read the Bible through by holding other verses together, you might think that the only plan for the Gentiles was destruction. And so he holds them together in this way. He goes, look at the world this way, and this is what he does. And the last one he quotes is where we're going to finish with our last few minutes today. Okay, this last one that he quotes is from Isaiah, and he says, the root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations, and in him the Gentiles will hope. And we're going to take a little bit of a deeper look at that for about five minutes right now, and then we'll be done today. Uh, Incidentally, Jesus does the same thing as Paul in quoting from all the Tanakh to teach. Uh, So here's two examples. In Luke 24, Jesus is walking on the road to Emmaus with two disciples who were disappointed because they had been in Jerusalem when he was crucified, but they didn't stay long enough to see the resurrection, and they just thought it was all over. And they're walking with Jesus, heads down, and Jesus is asking them, why are you so upset? And they can't believe he doesn't know they just killed Jesus. But they don't recognize that it's Jesus and he says uh, to them beginning with Moses and all the prophets okay and so here's here's how this relates Moses is the other way that the Jews refer to the Torah the first five books those are the ones that are written by Moses and so they call them Moses as it's written in Moses just like you might refer to um, a book by Mark Twain by its name like you might quote and say in Tom Sawyer you know it said." Or you might just, you're not thinking about the specific book. You're just like, in Twain, you know, he wrote these kinds of things. And they say, in Moses. And so Jesus is saying, in the Torah, in Moses, and then also in the prophets. So here you've got Jesus saying, I'm explaining to you what's in all the scriptures about me, because all Bible reading is about Jesus, and I'm starting with Moses and the Nevi'im, the prophets. So the the T and the N from tonight. And then later, in private with his own disciples, he even gets more broad. Jesus says to his disciples, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that's written about me. So again, Jesus is like, you read the Bible, whether you know it or not, you're reading about me. And then he says, in the law of Moses. So there you've got, see, Torah of Moses. And the prophets and the Psalms, the prophets of the Nevi'im and the Psalms are the most prominent and important book from the Ketuvim, from the other writings. So Paul is doing this because this is the way the Jews read their Bible and this is the way Jesus does it also. He says, "Read, read broadly through Scripture and learn to hold together these different pieces of the story so that you can see what the world ought to look like and it should look like Jesus'. So let's, as we finish, let's just take a moment and look at that passage that Paul quoted about accepting others for the sake of Jesus that came from the prophet Isaiah. Last week we read from Isaiah as our main text and from Paul as our backup. And today we're reading from Paul as our main text and Isaiah as our backup or our final text. But all of these texts have to do with anticipating the coming of Jesus. And this one from Isaiah matches up in a lot of neat ways with the passage from isaiah 2 that we read last week last week we read that on the mountain of god people would take their weapons and would beat them into farming implements because they were allowing god to judge the world and they weren't fighting it out amongst themselves anymore so look at some similarities in this prophecy uh, that paul had quoted in his bible study a shoot will come up from the stump of jesse So in in Isaiah's vision, he sees this forest that's been cleared. All of these dead tree stumps. But in the chapter that's right before this, most of the dead tree stumps are the Assyrians. They're the enemies of the people of Israel, Gentiles who were oppressing Israel and causing them to be destroyed and taking them into sinful practices and just leading them away from God and they were also the punishment that God was using because his people weren't being faithful so these Assyrians were a real menace as Gentiles and in the vision they have be- been cut down by God cut down with an axe so there's this forest of dead stumps and then in this fresh new vision in the next verse Isaiah says but I see one stump and it's the stump of an Israelite of Jesse who was the father of king david and turns out he becomes the sire of many kings including the king of kings but jesse who is thought because israel's been destroyed to be a dead stump his line's been cut off like his purpose in the world is no more if he was a pine tree he's been cut down used for christmas and now he's been thrown into the back lot right it's a dead stump he says i see a fresh little shoot of growth coming out of that stump This is a prophecy about Jesus, who's a descendant of Jesse and of David. And this is what he has to say about the branch, this fresh life from what looked like a dead forest and a dead stump. Uh, From his roots, this branch will bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding and of counsel and might and of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. The word delight is this great Hebrew word that means he will smell it. So here's a picture of this branch that's growing out of a dead stump in a field of dead stumps that are all the people of the Gentiles and all the people of the world. And this one little Israelite has fresh new life, and it's going to be Jesus, and he's going to smell the justice of God. And it seems like this is a Jewish way of saying he will delight. Just the way that freshly baked Christmas cookies cause you to delight. An apple pie causes you to delight when you smell it. He's going to smell what should be right in the world and what's wrong. And it will be a delight. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. so so you see to be like jesus means not to always trust what we see and what we hear this is how we learn to accept other people we see something we hear something we start to feel our stomachs churn we think they're the worst people in the world they're going to ruin life as we know it and then we remember that the scriptures give us encouragement not to trust our own judgment pause a little bit and to wait and to look like jesus would Uh, but with righteousness he will judge the needy what does it mean to judge the needy uh, if you misunderstand the word judge, that sounds terrible. Like here's a poor person and now, now Jesus is judging him because we think of judgment as just a bad word. But when you judge the needy, you look at them in their need and then you come to their defense and you help them get what they need. Okay? Uh, this isn't the, wor- the way we would say it to Bentonville, the town, but Community Care Day is a way of judging the needy. Okay, so the word judgment is so messed up for us that it sounds terrible to say community care day is a way of judging the needy. But it is, and this is what it means. Okay? It's a way of looking at somebody who's in need in the season and saying, you are worthy. You deserve to be treated with respect and dignity, and we love you and accept you. This is what happens when the righteous branch judges the needy. As he looks and he says, You're loved. The most important thing about you is not your poverty, but that you are loved. And then it says this. It says, With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. You see, sometimes we've been, we've been lulled or, or, or brought along into thinking that judgment and justice uh, is all negative. That like the judgment day of God is a terrible thing, but for those who have been oppressed or for those who are in need or those who have lived without, the judgment day of God is a beautiful thing. When God begins to set things right, and give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. It's equally troublesome for those who are in the wrong and those who are oppressing. And so with his words, with these divine given words, he's going to change the whole world. And righteousness will be his belt, and faithfulness the sash around his waist, which is where Paul gets the idea for the armor of God in Ephesians. Here are the pictures that Isaiah describes in his vision of what it'll look like. And remember, when Paul was writing to Rome and he said to the Jews and the Gentiles, accept each other, he quoted this scripture. He has these pictures in mind, okay? These animals in the prophecy are the Jews and the Gentiles in Paul's day in the Roman church that need to learn to lay down together and be at peace. I wonder who they are today. Who are the people that Paul would say and that Jesus would say and that Isaiah would say are on the opposite end of the spectrum from you that we need to find acceptance and peace with. The wolf will live with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, and the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear, their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. Now, to anyone who's ever seen any one of these animals on the nature Ch- channel or whatever knows this is not their natural behavior. Every time I lay my little baby boy, Ari, whose name means lion in Hebrew, down on his little playmat, which is shaped like a lamb i chuckle because the lion is laying down with the lamb and it makes me think of these prophecies in the scripture right but this is so much more important than that because this is the way paul read the bible to say to the church who could not accept each other the bible encourages you to accept one another that is the mind of christ that's what the branch of the dead stump would tell you to do And they will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And in that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples, the nations will rally to him, and his resting place will be glorious. This is what it means to anticipate the coming of the Lord and the healing that he brings. And so Paul can say the memory verse that we used in the first half of the year over and over and over. He can say this with full faith and with full hope and believing that when the church would stand and sing their final invitation song that they were really being transformed by the Spirit of God into this vision. And he can say to them, May the God of hope fill you with joy and peace as you trust in Him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's stand and sing.